Well, good morning once again, Bell Shoals family. My name is Corey Abney and I serve as the lead pastor here. And for those of you in the room with us here at our Brandon campus and those of you who are tuning in online all across the country, uh, thank you for being with us on this very special day as we uh, celebrate and honor our graduates and uh, certainly continue to pray for them and pray over them in the years to come. So, hey, let's give it up for our uh, class of 2023. Man, we're so proud of you guys. In honor of them, uh, we had them come to church super early today. Uh, we thought, what better way to honor a bunch of seniors who are now finished with school, but to make them get up super early on a Sunday morning and come for rehearsals and be here to services. But I, I think we did provide donuts. So uh, they're, they're well taken care of, but I'm so proud of them, so proud of our student ministry team and their work with them. And I thought Morgan said it perfectly that, you know, what we talked about last week with respect to parents and our faith family partnering together to see students uh, come to know the love of Jesus, come to know God's will for them and to move into now adulthood with the purpose of loving and honoring and serving King Jesus, that's what, that's what it's all about. And, um, and we're just so grateful for Bell Shoals, for our faith family, our leaders, our volunteers, all who make uh, these things possible. So if you're new to Bell Shoals, just know we are, we're so glad you're here and uh, we, we love families and uh, we're all about coming alongside of you and uh, encouraging you standing in the gap with you. Uh, raising children is the toughest business in the world. And uh, I know I'll take all the help I can get, especially for college tuition and uh, weddings. So just, um, I'll give you my Venmo. Can we put that up on the screen? Um, but no, uh, hey, we're on it together and, and uh, it's, it's a joy to be so. Well, listen, we're, uh, we're gonna wrap up a teaching series today called roadblocks. And uh, for the past few weeks, we've been talking about various roadblocks that get in the way from where we are to where God wants us to be. And we've talked about a number of, of, of very important roadblocks. And today we're going to talk about one of my favorites because this is a roadblock that we would not naturally think of in terms of something that stands in the way and presents a legitimate obstacle from where we are to where we need to be. Today we're going to talk about the roadblock of complaining. Oh, yeah, I'm talking to some of you today. I'm talking to some. No. Boy. It, it may be surprising to you, like if you're new to the Bible, if you're new to God's word, to know that like the Bible has a quite a bit to say about complaining. It's not something that we would naturally think of as a roadblock, but I wanna show you today, it can be a major roadblock because there's just something hardwired within each of us that likes to complain when things don't go according to our plan. And it can, it can be a big roadblock. Now, let me give you a funny example. This, I actually just read about this recently. A guy. Um, this happened about 10 years ago in Syracuse, New York. A guy by the name of Arthur Bundridge. You can look it up. Arthur Bundridge, one fateful day in Syracuse, New York, walked into a local bank and he held up the teller, 
gave her a bag and said, I want you to put $20,000 in there. Teller put some cash in the bag. He closed it. He runs, gets away with the crime. Police come, shut down the bank. Arthur Bundridge gets home, starts to count the cash. There's not $20,000 in there. The teller wisely gave him less, told him that she put 20 in there. He's furious. He's upset. He's been robbed. <laughs> True story. You can read about it on various news outlets. Arthur Bundridge goes back to the bank to complain about not getting his 20 grand. And when he returns to the bank, not enough time had elapsed. The police are still there. The doors are still locked. They catch him literally trying to open the locked door to get back into the bank to complain that he was shortchanged and to get the rest of his money. And he spent a healthy amount of time in prison because Arthur Bundridge was a moron. <laughs> and literally, he went back to the bank to complain about not getting the full amount that he thought he would receive when he robbed the bank. Now, you may have not done, I hope you've not done something that dumb, but all of us have this little streak in us where we can get caught up in complaining, right? I actually looked at some various surveys about the top things we complain about today. I thought this was fascinating. None of these I think will be a surprise to you. Slow or bad customer service, people who cut in line, packages that don't show up on time. It's amazing how spoiled Jeff Bezos has made us. Here's one that's in every survey, and this is true, my own heart and life. Slow or bad Wi-Fi. I can't handle it. I cannot handle it. Come on, I'm not the only one, right? Like, I remember dial-up. But man, I'm somewhere now and you can't jump on Wi-Fi and download something in a hurry. It is just ridiculous. And you know the worst? Flights. They promise you this great Wi-Fi. It's not great. Oh, man. Of course, the top two are always the weather, and for those of us in Tampa, traffic. <laughs> traffic. And, and so, um, so we always seem to have something to complain about. Sometimes it's small, trivial things. A lot of times it's significant things. And here's the challenge that you and I have. That's why I think this roadblock is actually a bigger deal for many of us than we realize, because... It's actually easier today to be a complainer than at any point in human history. Now, don't get me wrong. Complaining has always been a manifestation of our brokenness. Okay, this has been a problem since Adam sinned against God. Remember Adam complaining to the Lord after he got caught? Well, the woman you gave me. Okay, so this has been a problem. I'm going to show you today. It's been a problem throughout human history, but just lean in here. It's just easier to be a complainer today than any point in human history. Do you know why? Because um, you can tweet about it. You can post about it. You can text, email. You can start your own Facebook group called I Hate My HOA. You'll get all these members to come in and chime in, and then it's just a thread of complaints, right? 
My community has one. My wife won't let me read them. <laughs> She's like, no, 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 you don't need to see this. You don't need to see it, right? So frustrating sometimes. You can, um, you can complain today in some rather creative ways. You can have a burner account. Do you know what that is? Some of you don't know what that is. It means you just create an online profile with Twitter or Facebook or Instagram or something, and you give a pseudo name. It's not your real name, and then you just burn people, baby. And it's not, they don't know it's you. It's a burner. It's, it's some fake name that you came up with, right? And so it's easier to complain today, really, than any point in human history. You can voice them in various ways. But here's the thing. Complaining is dangerous. This is what the Bible is going to show us today. I know we wouldn't naturally think of this. Because, frankly, we just live in a culture with a lot of complaining. It's dangerous, however, because it can become a way of life. Here's what I want you to see today, okay. Here's the roadblock. Complaining is actually an addictive behavior. You may never thought of it that way. It's true. Complaining is an addictive behavior. And for some people today, sadly, it's the soundtrack of their lives. I read a book recently called Emotional Intelligence 2.0. Travis Bradbury is one of the authors. Here's what he says about complaining. Chronic complaining rewires the brain to compound the pattern of complaining. This leads to what he calls situational bias. Here's what that means. You approach new situations with a negative disposition. You go into it saying, I know I'm not going to like this. And then guess what? You find something you don't like. See, this situational bias snowballs. You begin to, in every area of your life, cultivate this disposition of complaining, this disposition of negativity. It's a cancer that you don't easily recognize, but everyone around you does. They're probably just kind enough not to say it to you directly. You see, there are some people who become chronic complainers. Again, complaining is the soundtrack of their lives. No matter what kind of situation they're in, they have something to complain about. They have a negative disposition. They approach new situations negatively all the time. And, and so this is an issue for a lot of us. It's a big issue for some of us. And it's absolutely a manifestation of the brokenness deep inside of us because all complaining is born out of selfishness. So let me just say, like, there's a difference between a legitimate concern and a complaint. Do you know what, a, you know what a, the difference is between a legitimate concern and a selfish complaint? Here's the difference. A concern is focused on solution. A complaint is focused on self. That's the difference. You ever been around someone who complains without ever being concerned about a solution? You ever been around someone who complains to the extent that even when you give them the solution, they don't really pay attention to it? They just keep complaining? See, complaining is not about solutions. It's not about problem solving. Complaining is about self. Complaining is about being a victim. Now, having a problem, having a concern or a crisis, that's legitimate, right? But, but, but when you lean into, as we'll see today, the providence of God, right? Like when you have a legitimate concern, a crisis, a problem, a challenge, you work to address it, confront it, solve it, navigate it. If it relates to you and someone else in a broken relationship, right? Reconcile it. That's the Bible's teaching. Complainers aren't worried about any of that. 
they actually find solace in their complaining. <laughs> really, all complaining is born out of self, not solution. And um, again, the Bible has a lot to say about this. And the roadblock it presents to both our happiness and our holiness. And let me just show you here today what the biggest problem is. Complaining is the language of unbelief. Let me tell you why this is a really big deal. This complaining problem. Complaining is the language of unbelief. The reason we have a complaining problem is because we have a faith problem. It's a spiritual issue. And so let me give you a couple takeaways today. Let me, let me take you a few scriptures I think you'll find um, convicting and encouraging. That's my goal, all right? First of all, write this down. Complaining distorts our past and present in order to accommodate our perspective. Here's what complaining does. It distorts the reality of your past and even your present. When you complain, you're not honest with yourself, your past, or your present. You're just trying to accommodate your current perspective. Let me give you a classic example of this. We're going to go back to the Old Testament and look at the children of Israel coming out of slavery in Egypt. You know what's amazing about reading through the Exodus? The number of times the people of God complain. I mean, it's profound. It's not once. It's not twice. Uh, it's perpetual. Let me give you a couple of examples. Okay, do you remember, like, okay, think Charlton Heston, right? Like, do you remember? I mean, God delivers his people in an amazing way. Oh, my goodness. It's so tragic for the Egyptians. Listen, here's what the scripture says. That you, I mean, listen, you've got all the, the, you got the ten plagues. Each one of them were bad news. The last one is devastating. The death of the firstborn in Egypt. Do you know what the Bible says? That on the morning after the angel of death moved through Egypt. Okay, of course the children of Israel are spared. Why? Because of the blood. The Passover. But as they walked out early in the morning, here's what the Bible says. Literally all throughout every town. There is wailing and weeping because there was not a single home that was not impacted by the death of a family member. Now you imagine that. Not a single Egyptian home was spared from death. Can you imagine? But the children of Israel are spared. They're then expelled, you know, get out of here, finally go. They're thrilled, they go. And then they go, and then Pharaoh kind of has a change of heart. He's like, oh no, what have I done? I just lost my entire workforce. So he pursues. This guy just keeps getting dumber and dumber and dumber. And God does, I mean, all these miraculous things, one right after the other. And Israel's, look at me, not even out of Egypt yet. And they turn to Moses and they complain. Here's what they say. Why did you bring us out here to die in the wilderness? Weren't there enough graves for us in Egypt? What have you done to us? And why did you make us leave Egypt? Oh, why? I can't think of a single reason we would want to leave Egypt. Didn't we tell you this would happen while we were still in Egypt? 
<laughs> That's funny. We don't have any record of that. We said, leave us alone, Moses, and just let us be slaves to the Egyptian. It's better to be a slave in Egypt than to be a corpse in the wilderness. You know what we call this? Revisionist history. There was not a time that the Israelites were saying to Moses, we love it here. But look at their lies. That's what complaining does. It distorts the reality of your past. And um, I, by the way, just a footnote here. I love what Moses says to them in that moment. He, he actually says to them, they're, they're complaining. Man, we didn't ever want to leave Egypt. It was so great. And look what you've done to us. You know what Moses says? Moses says, stop living in fear and be quiet. And watch what the Lord's about to do. And the Lord parts the Red Sea, they walk across on dry ground and the water closes in on the armies of Pharaoh. This is like men, when your wife comes and she's kind of having one of those moments, hypothetically, I've heard of it happening, never seen it, but uh, she just kind of like, you know, going and, and you, you just, this, just try this. Okay, those of you who are newly married, guys, lean in here. This is really good advice. Try this. When your wife comes and she's just venting and she's upset and something's wrong, just say to her, stop overreacting. Oh, she loves it when you say that. <laughs> just trust me. Try it. Those of you newlyweds, just try it. <laughs> That's basically what Moses does. They come and they're just, I mean, I mean, they're not even out of Egypt yet. Moses says, stop living in fear. He just, shut up. Watch what the Lord's about to do. He does it. They get on the other side of the Red Sea. Exodus 15, here's what happens next. Listen, we're not talking 30 years after here, people. This is all in relative close proximity. Then the people complained and turned against Moses. Exodus 15, 24. And they said, what are we going to drink? They demanded. Exodus 16, there too the whole community of Israel complained about Moses and Aaron. There too the whole community like they're just, they're just, they're upset, right? If, here's what they said, watch this. If only the Lord had killed us back in Egypt. Now watch this. There we sat around pots filled with meat and ate all the bread we wanted. It was like a sizzler. <laughs> oh, to be back in Egypt. Had God been providing miraculously for them? Yes. Had God miraculously delivered them over and over again? Yes. Had God ever given them a reason to not trust him? No. Here they are. Oh. Remember we used to sit around those pots and have filet mignon and those buttery rolls from O'Charlie's and the breadsticks from Olive Garden. And oh, they're just, oh, remember those days? They said, now you brought us out here starved to death. Um, I got a little news for you, Israel. Um, you never had that day. You never had that day. I remember the days that you had when Pharaoh said, now you're going to make bricks with no straw. I remember you all dying at a young age because of the severe conditions. You know what I remember in real history, not revisionist history? Israel was desperate for deliverance. But how quickly they forgot the power of God. 
And let me just remind you how complaining works. It distorts your past and present in order to accommodate your current perspective. You lie to yourself. Oh, man, I remember when we were back in Egypt. Oh, the steak and the food and the bread. Oh, it was so wonderful. Really? You were slaves. See, they left that part out. That's what we do when we complain. Revision is history, right? Here's, and as they continue to lean in it, do you see how it snowballs? Here's the sad, tragic reality of Israel that they preferred the safety of slavery over the responsibility of freedom. And their complaining kept them there, kept them there, kept them there. And, and, and they just kept going on. Exodus 17, so once more the people complained against Moses. Give us water to drink, they demanded. Quiet, Moses replied. There it is, fellas, try it. Next time your wife wants to complain, just say, quiet. No, don't do that. <laughs> I'm kidding. Because I can't guarantee what happens next, but whatever happens next, it's on you. Don't blame me. Well, pastor said. Moses is like, I've had enough of this. Why are you complaining against me? Ooh, and why are you testing the Lord? Here's what complaining does. Complaining distorts the past and present in order to accommodate your perspective, and you lose, you lose sight of what matters most. And um, your grievance... Your grievances take on a certain form that manifests itself in a lack of faith and a lack of gratitude. It's dangerous. It snowballs. You focus so much on the moment, you forget the miracles, right? I've heard about this happening in church. I'll never forget, this is many years ago. <laughs> little church I pastored, we had one of those baptistries in the center, you know, right behind the stage. And uh, we had one of those baptistries that had like, I guess, I assume it was the Jordan River painted in it. Some of y'all grew up in those kinds of churches. I assume it was the Jordan River. It wasn't the Ohio River because the water was blue, not brown. <laughs> if it had been brown, it would have been the Ohio River. I think it was the Jordan River. But it, one of those things, had the mural behind it. And then, okay, this is the way we did it back then. There was a, there was a piece of glass like on the upper end of the baptistry. That's in the Bible. You have to have that when you build a church, okay? You have to have the glass piece, okay? I'm teasing, of course, but here's what happened. Man, we were just seeing a season of growth, people getting saved, people getting baptized. God was doing great things. And when we were baptizing people, we, we were trying to make it a little easier on them. We kind of had a stool in there. They could just sit down, lean back, come up. It was just easier. But when they sat down, like we, we had to lower the original water level because, you know, when they sat, we didn't want them to like not be able to breathe for a while. And... Um, and so here's what happened. We lowered the water level to accommodate those we were baptizing, but it took it below the spiritual glass. So when you were sitting in the congregation, you couldn't see the water. Okay, I didn't think anything about this. We're baptizing people, people getting saved. We're growing. God's doing a great thing. Here's what happened. We baptize, go through the service, I go to the back after church, of course. Had this guy run up to me. Here's what I've learned in 30 years of ministry. Nobody runs up to you after service to tell you how great your sermon was. <laughs> no, no, no. They may stumble. Like they may, you may be standing in their way on the way to the door and they have to say it. Oh, good sermon today. But they run into you to say that. They run to you to complain. Here's what this gentleman said. Love the guy. I actually love him, but he never said anything about the baptism, never said anything about growth, never said anything about what God's doing. He said, Pastor, there's a few of us need to talk to you. I'd like to meet with you. Sure, what's going on? 
we can't see the water in the baptistry. <laughs> I'm not making this up. And it's one of those moments where I'm like trying to respond, but I don't know what to say that isn't sarcastic. <laughs> like legitimately, like I don't even know what to say that's like not going to come across sarcastic. So I'm just like, hey, walk me through that. Help me understand. And he said, well, it used to be the case when we had baptisms, we could see the water in the baptistry. We could see it in that glass, you know, the spiritual glass that's in the Bible. You got to have it, okay? And we could see the water. Now we can't see the water. I'm still not picking up what he's putting down. I'm like, okay, can you help me understand the problem? Here's what he says to me. We don't have any way of knowing if they're fully immersed. <laughs> so I say, what about when we bring them up and they're drenched in water? Did I lose anybody there? <laughs> now, I just want you to know, for you, that may sound like, like good reasoning. For him, it made no difference. Well, we can't see the water. All right, let me know what day this week you want to meet. And I went home and I said, thank you, Lord. I'm going to use that in a sermon one day on complaining. That is a great illustration. That is a great illustration, right? <laughs> now, I mentioned that to you. It's a good brother. But I mean, isn't it amazing sometimes the sideways energy we expel? Not focusing on the miracles because we focus on a moment that doesn't in some way match our preference or perspective. That's how complaining works even with well-intended people everywhere, in every area of life, right? It's called missing the forest for the trees. And it always takes the form of, we were better off in Egypt. Revisionist history, it was so much better, or it can be so much better. But complaining is the language of unbelief. The problem is we're not focused properly on the glory of our God, his power, and his providence, right? So it distorts our past and present. Okay, secondly, make a note of this. Complaining then compromises our character and our reputation. You say, well, okay, the children of Israel, that's a, you know, I've seen that before. It's, that's an example where, of course, I mean, they were just acting a fool. Well, no. All throughout the Bible, God gives us this warning. Let me take you to Philippians 2. This is the Apostle Paul now. New Testament. This is me and you, right? This is our time. This is the area of the church now. Here, here's, a, here's what Paul says, Philippians 2. He says, do everything without complaining and arguing. Watch the connection. Please don't miss this. The connection he makes between complaining and character. These are connected grammatically. It's, it's a purpose clause. In order that, right, so that no one can criticize you and you can live clean, innocent lives as children of God, shining like bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people. Here's what Paul is saying. If you let your heart drift into a mode of complaining, not only will you live in a revisionist history of the past, but you will rob yourself of joy and meaning in the present. You will compromise your character and you will ruin your reputation. Paul says, 
do all things without complaining so that your reputation doesn't suffer and your character doesn't suffer. Because when you lean into complaining, here's what happens. You begin to voice things that aren't godly. You begin to voice things that aren't consistent with faith. And as you voice those things and give voice to those things, your actions follow. That's why the Proverbs say this, Proverbs 18, death and life are in the power of the tongue. And when you speak words of death and you give in to complaining and that's your spirit and that's your default, it will compromise your character. It will ruin your reputation. And Paul says, do everything without complaining. You say, well, yeah, that's easy for Paul to say. I mean, that guy walked with Jesus, and he saw all these miracles. No, 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 no. You know what's so cool about this word? Paul was writing it under house arrest. Paul was writing these words as literally he is chained to a Roman centurion. And he's sitting there tied to a Roman centurion for no crime against the state, but yet one who's convicted of crime as an innocent man who's about to lose his life. And he uses the opportunity to write to the church, which, by the way, forms about half of our New Testament, and also to share the gospel. Here's what he says in Philippians 1, by the way. I just want to just listen. He says, he says, I want you to know what's happened to me here in Rome under house arrest has actually happened to spread the gospel because he says here, the entire palace guard knows that I'm in chains because of Jesus. In other words, here's what he says. I got a guy chained to me 24 hours a day. You may see that as a problem. I see it as a gospel opportunity. And the guy gets chained to Paul. And Paul says, how you doing? My name's Paul. Let me tell you a little bit about my life story. Do you have a second? <laughs> Jay, Toby, can't leave. Some of these centurions come to faith in Christ. Talk about a captive audience. <laughs> Paul says, I'm paraphrasing, do everything without complaining because complaining is the language of unbelief. And as he's imprisoned, fastened to a Roman centurion, he writes these words and he says, no, even in your hardship, God has a plan and a purpose. He would later go on to say, chained to a Roman centurion, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. Paul's like, who's the real prisoner here? <laughs> it's not me. God's just given me an opportunity to spread the gospel throughout the entire Roman guard. And so he warns the church. He says, hey, you're going to have hardship. You're going to have difficulty. Life's going to be unfair. People are going to be um, pretty brutal at times. Do everything without complaining and grumbling. Why? Because when you lean into complaining and grumbling, you ruin your reputation, you compromise your character, and you cultivate a pattern of negativity in your life that snowballs. That's why A.W. Tozer famously said, among those sins most exquisitely fitted to injure and destroy our testimonies, 
few can equal the sin of complaining, right? Here's my encouragement to you. Be a Barnabas. This guy named Joseph, who began to walk with the apostles early in life, you know, in the, in the ministry, and, and here's what they said. His name was Joseph, and here's what the, the apostles gave him a nickname, son of encouragement. Man, that's awesome. He's like, dude, you're always so encouraging. We're going to nickname you Son of Encouragement. Now, I've given it a few nicknames in my day, and it's never Son of Encouragement. <laughs> yeah, see, in my mind, if it's not sarcastic, it ain't good. But um, that's probably why one of the many reasons I've never been an apostle. Won't ever be an apostle, right? The apostles are like, here's a guy who's always so encouraging. They said, hey, hey bro, we're not even going to call you Barnabas anymore. We're going to start calling you Son of Encouragement. His, his name was Encouragement. Do you know why they gave him that nickname? Because people like him are exceedingly rare. He wasn't known by complaining. He wasn't known by grumbling. He wasn't known by negativity, undue criticism, all that. He was just an encourager. And there are so few people like him, they said, we're going to start calling you son of encouragement. That's your name now. That's how we know him. When we see that guy in heaven, we're like, hey, Barnabas, nobody's going to call him Joseph. I'd kind of like to be that guy. How about you? Just that presence in people's lives. Like you're such an encouragement, right? And, and, and that's so, so important because complaining is the language of unbelief. And therefore, here's the last thing. Just make a note of this. Okay, here's what I want you to see then. Complaining is eradicated when God is exalted. Here's how you get rid of it. Okay, again, we've got legitimate concerns. We've got things we've got to focus on at times. I get that. Relationships, we need to heal and all that. That's right. Here's what Jesus said. Go to your brother, go to your sister, right? Concern is about solution. Complaining is about self. And the reason that we are all prone to complain at times is because we like to exalt ourselves, our preferences, our ways. That's why we live in a revisionist history. That's why that, that we miss the miracles because of the moment. That's why we do all of these things. And so here's the solution. The solution is to focus on the beauty, glory, majesty, power, providence of God who in Jesus has saved you from your sin, given you the hope of eternal life, has blessed you with every spiritual blessing and has promised to bring you with him into a new heaven and a new earth one day where righteousness dwells. You see, when you exalt God, you minimize complaining. And the reason we complain is because at times our perspective and our preferences loom larger to us than the glory, majesty, power, providence, goodness, grace of God. Because nobody complains who sees God in the center of their situation. Some of y'all need to put that on Twitter. Come on, come on. I'm teasing. Man, This encouraged me this week, thinking through it. Nobody complains who sees God in the center of their situation. Paul and Silas, unjustly in prison, they didn't have a pity party. They had a praise party. They said, you're going to keep us here? We're going to sing. Those guards are like, you're all out of pitch. They're like, hey, we don't care. You have to listen to us. We're getting our worship on. And they did. God brought a little revival. People got saved. Nobody complains to see God in the situation. Why? Because complaining 
is the language of unbelief. And so, listen, if you're living your life today with more complaining than thanksgiving, I just want you to know complaining has become a roadblock for you and you are robbing yourself of joy and peace. And the solution is not to put a sticky note on your mirror in the bathroom and say, stop complaining. The solution is to put a sticky note on the mirror in your bathroom reminding you of how good, great, glorious your God is. He's got you. He's got you. And here's the thing. Christ followers should be the least complaining people on planet Earth. Do you agree with that? Christ followers should be the least complaining people on planet Earth. Not that we don't have problems. Not that we don't have challenges. Not that we don't face significant obstacles. But because we have a Savior who has redeemed us from the curse of hell. We have a God who is with us in every season and circumstance. We have the power of his Holy Spirit to comfort, guide, give wisdom and, 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 and blessing. Listen, we are a people redeemed, forgiven, blessed, cared for. And when you really contemplate the glory of God, the love of God for you, the power of God in your life, the provision of God in your life, I think here's what God would say to some of us. Why are you complaining? I would never be like the children of Israel. No, dear one, listen to me. The Exodus narrative is our narrative because what God did through the children of Israel in the Exodus is exactly what he did for you and me through Jesus. Through the ultimate Passover lamb whose blood covers our sin so that we live in him instead of dying in eternal death and separation from him. And listen, the Exodus that Israel went through simply foreshadowed the Exodus from sin, death, and judgment that we experience in Christ. And I know you're looking back at Israel and you're like, how could they do that? No, how can we do that? Look at all that God's given us, what he's delivered us from. Some of us are saying we were better off in Egypt. Just think for a moment. Here's what the scripture teaches. Just think for a moment what God's done for you. Think for a moment what Jesus has done for you. Think for a moment about what you have. Think about where you are. Think about your opportunity. Just think about where you live. It's about to get hot, I know, humidity. I got news for you, you could, you could be stuck in Minnesota. No offense to those of you from Minnesota, I just don't wanna live there. Because you have things like snow and ice and gray and clouds and the sun does not shine. And the moon turns to blood and it's just bad. <laughs> no, I'm kidding, but I mean, Hey man, nowhere is perfect, right? But just think about where you are. Think about what you have. Think about God's grace, his forgiveness. Just think about his power, his providence. Just think about it for a moment. And if you'll focus this week more on giving thanks than giving voice to what you don't have, just maybe God will work in that, meet you where you are, bring joy to your situation. Turn your mourning to dancing. This is the power of our God. So complaining is a spiritual problem. It's the voice of unbelief. Here's what I'm, 
encouraging you with today. Hey, turn from that complaining to saving faith in Jesus. Lean into him, the power of his spirit. Count your many blessings. Name them one by one. Give voice to what is good. Give voice to what you have. Focus on the blessing, not the burden. And trust in the providence of your God to lead you, guide you, sustain you. He will. Until he calls you home, Paul says to die is gain, or he leaves you here until he comes to get us to live as Christ. Either way, win-win. Win-win, right? Amen? So win-win. <laughs>